Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's me, Sarah Strumming of the Cognitive Canine, and this is called Dog Radio, a podcast about all things dog sports and dog training. Join me as I explore my cases and considerations regarding the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. I hope you enjoy it. I just wanted to take a minute before your podcast starts to talk about something very important to me. Black Lives Matter. I, Sarah Strumming, am committed to anti-racism and the companies that I oversee, the Cognitive Canine and Cogdog Radio, are also committed to anti-racism. I recognize my privilege here and I recognize that I have a platform where I can use my voice and I intend to do so in such a way that combats systemic racism because it absolutely affects the field of dog training and it's time that everybody with a platform uses it for good. I'm gonna link a list of resources for ways that you can support black, indigenous, and people of color and also just some educational resources that I've found helpful in my anti-racism journey. And I hope that we can all stand together to dismantle racism in dog training and therefore in the world. Cheers. Hey guys, I'm doing a new program that I'm calling Wednesday Night Chats. This is a Facebook Live that'll be happening every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific on my business page, which is on Facebook. It is facebook.com slash thecognitivecanine. I hope that you'll join me over there. We're going to be talking about basically all things what to do with dogs in a pandemic. How do we prepare our dogs for when our lives go back to normal? How do we socialize puppies right now? And if we can't get out to do a decompression walk, what are we supposed to do? So join me over there. It's a free program, but I am accepting donations for it. All the details will be included each week. So that's facebook.com slash the cognitive canine Wednesday nights at 5 p.m. See you there. Hey, everybody. I've got a really special guest on the podcast today. Um, I've got Emily Russell, who you might remember from the Jade case study that I did. So that was a three-part episode about Jade the Golden Retriever. And I will definitely link that for you guys in the show notes if you are newer listeners and you may have missed it. So today we're going to catch up with Emily and Jade and Emily's new puppy, and talk about basically all of the changes and the transformation that Jade has made on Emily's life. So Emily, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. It's so great to be here again. So get us started. Tell me, what is Jade's life like today and how old is he? So Jade is eight years old, which is kind of unbelievable. It's crazy. He still acts in many ways like he's two or three. Um, and then he also lives with a 13 year old golden Layla and he lives with a 12 week old border collie puppy as well. So, um, when I was thinking about what Jade's life is like today, I think it's funny because the first thing I thought of was he's really easy to live with. And I never would have said that. I mean, I'm looking back on our podcast when we recorded that several years ago, and that was definitely not an adjective that I used to describe Jade. No. Um, Easy? (laughs) No. (laughs) He settles, and he sleeps, and he eats. I mean, these were things that I, um, I took for granted with my first dog, but 
Um, big stuff for him. So Jay lives with me, my fiance, and he also lives with our other roommate, who is my fiance's best friend. Um, so I think that the biggest reason why Jade is so easy to live with today is that his needs are met on a more consistent basis. So he's able to tolerate kind of boring dog days. He tolerates a lot of downtime. Um, I'm a medical student, so prior to the pandemic, I would be working in a hospital, um, honestly, anywhere from like eight to 14 hours a day. And I have to say we have the most amazing dog walkers. So shout out to Megan Streming and Quinn. <laughs> shout out to my sister, my brother-in-law. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I'd come home from work and he wasn't starved for attention. Now that we kind of had to, I had to take a step back from working in the hospital and I'm home all day. Um, he still doesn't bug me. We go on a lot of decompression walks. He gets a lot of enrichment at home. Um, we're kind of pursuing some obedience training. I'm not sure what that will amount to, but it definitely gives him something to do. And I'm getting to work with um, my cleaner training mechanics with him now. But um, he's he's really fabulous to live with. Um, also, like I took a three hour long remote exam from my bedroom. Um, I think that was like two. No, that was like two or three weeks ago. And he laid on my feet the whole time. <laughs> wow. Like my I'm sitting here like there's no way I could tolerate a three hour anything exam. <laughs> anything. <laughs> so that's impressive. And actually, the dog I ended up kicking out of the room was Layla because she was digging at the carpet right before the exam started. Who is the 13-year-old perfect princess? Right. That's funny. So you basically, I want to dive into the fact that you have religiously hiked Jade and you've really become an avid hiker yourself. So not just a decompression walker, but you're a serious hiker. And that is not free of risk. And I get a lot of people talking to me about feeling like off-leash walks or hikes are too high risk for them. And so you certainly, you're, you know, you're as risk averse as anybody else, right? Like it wasn't, it wasn't easy for you to take Jade and unclip his leash and let him be free. Um, so talk to me a little bit about the safety gear and the equipment that you found really useful because he's always decked out in all of your pictures. I guess our necessities are he wears a back clipping non-restrictive harness and he actually fits really well into the Herda active harness. So that's what we use. Um, I attach bear bells onto the harness. And so um, Andy's dad, my father-in-law created a really nifty way to attach the bear bells to a like a carabiner that screws onto the clip because I lost a set hiking last summer. So he's always got the bear bells. Um, he wears a basket muzzle. Um, we use Baskerville, but there's a lot of different brands out there now. And then he also has a GPS collar. And um, I listened to your podcast regarding the GPS collar. And I was really, um, I was really hesitant to drop that much money on a collar. It's <laughs> very expensive. It's, it's not cheap. It's true. I have zero last year and now I have three. So that's just a <laughs> And one of them can't even be used right now because I have a puppy. So, but that <laughs> soon enough, exactly. soon enough. 
It's just a little too clunky for the little baby yeah. to wear. Yeah. Um, so the I guess the best thing about the collar is that I can really save my recalls for when I need them. Absolutely. Um, my dogs tend to stick very close. Um, Layla wanders a little bit more since she's gotten older and she's kind of it's funny. We, we kind of think she's losing hearing, but also she hears selectively different words in the apartment. So I'm not sure, but um, <laughs> I, I only call them when I need to. And um, I think that keeps their recalls really good. And um, I'm not as much on edge because I can see where they are on my handheld at all times. Yeah. I find that I have trained myself rather than immediately recalling Mm-hmm. when I'm not sure where they are, mm-hmm. to just pull out the handheld and look. Yeah. Because half the time, they're just right ahead of me. Exactly. And I've talked in my recalls episode about not wasting your recall and not overusing your recall. And I do think that that's, that's really, really helpful. Um, and I love the basket muzzle. Can you, you know, listeners right now maybe haven't listened to Jade's case study, but one of the concerns was dog-directed aggression. And you may run into dogs on any given trail, no matter how hard you try to get away from civilization, you might run into dogs on any given trail. So how has the basket muzzle changed your life in that regard? Um, I can pretty much relax because I know that Jade can't do anything if he does encounter another dog. And I also want to say that we've worked a lot on uh, desensitization with other dogs. And his reactions today are not something that concerns me on the dog aggression spectrum. So, um, but it basically just gives me reassurance. So it's really funny. Back when Jade used to not have a basket muzzle on, I don't even know why he would hike with me. Every turn of the trail, I would call his name. Like if I couldn't, yeah. I'd call his name. And that, yeah. like, and, and, it's funny because that was still better than what he had before we started hiking. But I, I still don't understand why he had such a fabulous recall. Freedom, and you call me. Some parts of him, I suppose, are truly golden retriever. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of them. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I love the basket muzzle. People know that about me. And my favorite part about it is what you just said, which is that the human can relax. Because when we get uppity and worried, we create problems. So when Jade actually does encounter another dog on a trail, he actually is able to roll with it most of the time. Mm -hmm. And you're able to roll with it because he's in a muzzle. And that's actually allowed his social behaviors with other dogs, I think, to improve so much. So you've essentially done what I now call remedial socialization. Yeah, um, impossible without a muzzle. He just and it would yeah, it wouldn't have been it. You would have been too nervous, and it just wouldn't have been okay. Right. Yeah. And he can. I mean, he doesn't encounter dogs on leash at all for the for the very unless it's an accidental encounter. But um, just being able to unclip the leash and trust that nothing bad can happen. And so let's talk about that. So were you? You know, I made this suggestion to you. You know, forever ago. I don't know. He was probably two ish years of age when we are a little younger when we started working and I suggested that he needed more off-leash exercise and so when you first started doing that were you afraid and what were you afraid of yeah so you know the thing is Jade I wasn't afraid to take Jade off leash um I was afraid to take Jade off leash if there were cars in the parking lot because people equal dogs especially in Colorado um Mm -hmm. but prior to working with you 
he was off leash in parks. I mean, I threw the freaking ball to him until <laughs> we're all in this house that we don't throw. We don't throw balls. We don't throw toys. <laughs> Um, And thankfully, I I surround myself with dog people that also kind of prescribe to that. Um, But yeah, I I didn't also have the skills to ask for space. So there was some character development there. Yes. (laughs) Became a lot less apologetic. This little blonde girl hiking with her golden retriever. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Oh, he's a golden. Of course he wants to say hi. You know, Hannibal Lecter Mm -hmm. here in the muzzle. (laughs) (laughs) true so so you were mostly afraid of other dogs I was yeah at that time yeah Mm -hmm. and you know it even with the muzzle at the beginning I was just I was so afraid of him doing anything but ignoring dogs which is Ah. unrealistic expectation you know it's like I would take anything but pulling off the trail and like no growling, just looking on, looking at me, hand targets, like anything but that was kind of a failure in my book. And it wasn't like I was mad at him. It was like, I couldn't, I didn't want to put myself in a position where I would quote unquote, set him up for failure. Although looking back on that, that's, you know, I kind of think completely 180 the other direction. Yeah, I guess I was just, I was just afraid of what I didn't know. And I never gave him the chance to explore it either. So we worked really, really hard on recalls. Um, thankfully, he's always had a pretty good recall. Um, I did a lot of, I went through like the call your dogs phase. That was awful. Poor Jade. You know, talk about classical <laughs> conditioning. And you yelled out to people to call their dogs. Yeah. I mean by that. It's so normal. But it does teach our dogs to freak out when you say that. Yeah. And I think that the best, the thing that really changed for me is that I really embraced that I just can't control all the variables. And these are living, breathing animals. And they're going to act like living, breathing animals with feelings and agendas that are different than ours. And, um, you know, keeping him safe, as safe as I could, that's kind of my compromise for letting him be the dog that he needs to be. I love that. Keeping him safe was your compromise for letting him you know, you basically sacrificed the guarantee of safety. Like you still work hard to keep him safe, but you sacrifice that guarantee in order to give him what he needs. So today he runs into strange dogs on trails. Um, of course, I know that you, you make an effort to hike where there is nobody else. Um, because I mean, hi, that's just the way to enjoy a hike. Um, whether your dog has, has issues or not. Um, so what happens when a strange dog approaches you guys now? Okay. So Jade actually has um, a cue to get to the side of the trail and we'll both pull off. But I, I only use that if it look, if the dog is not kind of making a beeline towards us because I don't want okay. to in that because being on the side of the trail is safe for him. So um, if the dog is kind of like, you know, sniffing, kind of sticking really close to its people, the people are just a little clueless. Um, I will pull him off and he knows to wait until I release him verbally. Um, If the dog is making a beeline for us, I just take a deep breath and I let him be. I used to leash him and he would Mm -hmm. get really tense when I did that. And I actually would get you know, much more dramatic reactions if he was leashed. Um, I and I I know we all know that dog reactions on leash are a lot can be a lot more dramatic than off leash. They, I mean, they yeah. they're attached to something they can't get away from, and the other dog being off leash doesn't help. So um, 
if the people are, if, if I see the people, I just say, you know, he's not going to be nice if they get close. And I, I know that it doesn't work for um, everyone, but it works for me. And I think I'm just explaining to them, I'm giving them a chance. They can call their dogs if they want to, but if they don't, he's going to, he may have a reaction. He's not guaranteed. You warned them, essentially. You warned them. I mean, the other, a few weeks ago, he had like two little Australian cattle dog puppies that were like majorly groveling and licking his lips and he was fine. And I was like, okay, wow. (laughs) Who are you? (laughs) This is before I got the puppy too. So I'm like, I think the universe is sending me some weird stuff right now the universe gave you a signal he was gonna be okay with the puppy we can actually talk about that for the next like 45 minutes just the fact that dogs that will harm puppies are actually quite rare um but it's not like you want to test it right (laughs) so it's not like you knew that he would tolerate that because if those were adults acting like that he would have had a completely different response yeah so um yeah and i actually i haven't had a lot of trouble with using that you know he's not going to be nice if they get close um and I think it's just because people realize they have to take some accountability. It's like, okay, if you're just going to let your dogs run up to random dogs, <laughs> there may or may not be a consequence. Yeah, and I like that phrase better than, I think a lot of people try in vain to communicate what their dog needs. Like they say, my dog needs space. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, my dog, my dog doesn't like other dogs or like whatever. You just say, he, this is the behavior he will do. Right. He will not be nice. And I think that's so much more clear. Um, I've had better success with things like that. And it's- I don't really have any dogs now that are a huge problem in that regard, but I have for sure in the past. And yeah. I think it's better to just say my dog will blink. I mean, I got to the point with Kelso where I just said my dog will bite yours. <laughs> And I mean, like, yeah, that would be fair if he wasn't a muzzle. And Kelso wasn't because we're talking, you know, he's been, oh my gosh, like we're talking, I got him 20 years ago. So he wasn't. And I wish that I had, you know, the tools then that I have now, but I didn't. And so I said, hey, my dog's going to bite yours. Not incorrect. (laughs) Which is accurate. Um, So let's talk about another concern, which is wildlife. So major concern in the high country where you hike, um, we're talking bears, we're talking mountain lions, we're talking moose. How do you reconcile that risk in your head? I have seen, I think, every large wild animal. (laughs) on hikes too um the only thing that I can't reconcile and this is pretty funny like I hike in moose country all summer long I see coyotes you know it's it's not rare um but I cannot reconcile rattlesnakes I just can't I'm not I am right there with you Emily I that is my biggest fear with the dogs off leash which is why I go to elevation where you're gonna be with moose instead right (laughs) This time of year and going forward until the fall, like we do not hike near Denver. We don't hike. Yeah, you can't. Yeah. Yeah. And in my opinion, I mean, the best stuff is in the high country anyways. We've been waiting all winter long to get there. So totally agree. Yeah. Totally. Other than that, I mean, we've encountered moose um, and deer and elk and uh, Jade actually had an encounter with a mountain lion. So that one shook me up. Anytime I saw a mountain lion's cat on a trail after that, I'd basically turn around. I'm going to say that's okay. I'm going to say that's probably smart. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so, uh, yeah, he's, he's seen coyotes. Um, He actually, one day he really thought a coyote was a dog. And this was when I was living in suburban Denver a couple years ago. And he and Layla kind of galloped after the coyote. 
and then they were say hi to their friend i mean i'm just like you know freaking out i i think that everyone's life is over we're done like quit medical school the end (laughs) and so they put on the brakes and they're like this is not a dog and they come sprinting back to me so um i know that not all dogs have and I don't want to imply that this is the reaction all dogs will have but my dogs seem to understand the inherent danger of big wildlife the only exception to that for Jade is deer but we've worked really 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 hard on um kind of trying to eliminate the chasing behavior um Mm -hmm. chasing deers it's just self-reinforcing so um I just have to prevent it from happening in the first place I mean like why waste a recall on a herd of deer. So, um, but that's gotten a lot better because he hasn't had the opportunity to chase deer in years. But yeah, um, I just, I know the wildlife is out there. He wears bells. I carry bear spray. And I think the thing that I always tell myself is we've had so many more amazing hiking experiences than bad ones. So I can't live in fear of something that just statistically is so rare. I love that answer. And what we're really talking about is reinforcement history, right? So your reinforcement history for hiking is vast enough to outweigh some random incidents. Um, You are going to have to back up and tell everybody about the mountain lion encounter because I'm going to get emails about how you just mentioned that and then you didn't tell the story. So back up and tell us what happened when Jade had a mountain lion encounter. So I made a couple of mistakes. <laughs> we were <laughs> very, uh, very remote area in Colorado. Um, actually, back up. Wasn't backpacking, but we started the hike in the afternoon, which is never a great idea in Colorado, especially if it's going to be a day hike. Luckily, it didn't thunderstorm on us, so there's that. I was hiking through some pretty thick forest at dusk, and I just kind of had this sixth sense that something wasn't right. Like, Jade was being super sniffy and not doing like his cute little run out and back sort of thing that he always does. He was sticking pretty close and he was kind of peering into the trees. And um, I thought, you know what? Like maybe I should leash him. And I was like, nope, nope. You're just being paranoid. You're almost to the car. So, and we were probably, I would say maybe about half a mile from the car at this point. So Jade freezes and he sees something through the trees. I see it too. So it is definitely the silhouette of a mountain lion. I mean, there, there's no blondish hair, long tail. There's not very many animals in the state that look like this. And so I kind of whispered Jade. And I mean, I knew that was useless. He took off. And I went hoarse from screaming for probably 30 seconds, but it felt like half an hour. And mm. uh, he returned with the biggest grin on his face. Oh my God. And it was like, I was like, oh my God, Jade, you are so dumb. <laughs> I know that where you went wrong was you didn't listen to a little voice in your head. Well, he was wearing a basket muzzle. So it's like, oh my gosh. I really thought his life was over. Let, let me tell you. But, um, what I, I think to this day, the mountain lion was like, what the hell are you? <laughs> like I probably it probably went in a tree predators, and then he has this like black mask over his face oh my gosh you're so lucky I am so lucky as you know but okay so you told the story so I'm gonna move on and ask my next question which is funny following that there's a theme here you know risk is inherent in this activity especially where you choose to do it um although statistically speaking you are safer up in the high country than um in the foothills because of rattlesnakes this time of year and that's totally true but you choose and you always have chosen 
to take Jade on off-leash hikes, even though you know that there's inherent risk. There's dogs, there's wildlife. It is not um, what we would call a safe activity. Um, so why why do you still do it when you know that there's danger? Uh, I couldn't give him a good life if I didn't. It's just there are no amount of Kongs and scatters and urban decompression walks that amount to what he gets in an hour in the mountain. That's just it. And I think that when you have a dog like Jade, I mean, I guess this is hard for me to say because, you know, he's he's such an easy dog to live with when he's, you know, when his needs are provided for. But I mean, I basically, I took a risk when I got him. And when I feel like every day I'm making sacrifices and taking risks for him. So if I'm not going to do it 100%, then I'm not... I'm not doing the best thing I could for him. And you really said it. I mean, before you started doing this, he was kind of, he was miserable. And so were you. Mm -hmm. He had all kinds of tough household stuff. He had compulsive behaviors in your house. So it wasn't just dog aggression and it wasn't just the issues you were having in agility. Like he, he was a mess. He couldn't sleep. Before you started providing for him in this way. And so I hear from people constantly that they're too afraid of something bad happening. I'm sure that there are people who just listened to your mountain lion story and said, nope, not for me. Yeah. Cannot do that. Um, you know, like, the, it's funny. It's like people are so afraid of something bad happening, but it's like keeping this dog at home. That is, that is the bad thing. That's a guaranteed bad thing. That is, that is so, yeah. that has so many more detrimental effects than one lifetime run in with, a large animal. So, so what would you say to the people who are too risk averse for this? They're just, they're too scared. They, they know that it will make their dog's behavior better and therefore their dog's life better. But what, but they're, they really are still feeling too afraid. What would you say to them if you could? Um, first of all, I was in that position, so I completely understand and I can empathize um, I'll just say that until you do it, you don't know what you're missing out on. Um, and just do it. Just unclip the leash and take a step back and wait. And they're going to act like maniacs and they're going to be starved for freedom initially. But I think that you need to realize that their first time off the leash is not what all future hikes will look like. Um, I think some other tips for uh, brand new dogs to being off leash, especially in a wilderness area, is to hike with an off leash savvy dog because mm -hmm. dogs tend to want to stay close to other dogs and their humans. I mean, I just find it completely rare that you unclip a leash and you're never going to see the dog again. I think that's just so, that's so undog-like. And I know it's a definite fear for a lot of people. But, yeah. Um, yeah. It was for me. It was for me way back when I, mm -hmm. the very first time I did it with one of my uh, childhood dogs. I was scared I would never see her again. Yeah. And you just for sure. Home. Like, you don't need to go on a four-hour hike to begin with. Just show yourself that, you, I mean, set yourself up for success. Do 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Yes, celebrate approximations, <laughs> split for the people. It's, it is really important. And so how, you know, we've kind of talked about it the entire episode so far, but like, how has off-leash hiking benefited you, Jade, and your life together? Because for you in particular, I saw you go from, you know, Oklahoma girl who got really cold at my nighttime outdoor classes. Wow. You went from that to being like this boss hiker. Yeah. So 
How has your life changed because of this? I I don't know. It's just been, I don't know if I can describe that, but I think that I am a lot more like Jay than I thought I was. Um, I need yeah. help as much as he does. Um, it's strengthened my relationship with him. Um, it's repaired my relationship with him. I realized that during Jade's rehab process, he was his most normal on a trail. And mm. I, I think that hiking has taught him to be more behaviorally sound in other areas of his life. It's kind of shown him that he can do it. Um, for me, the mountains are the mountains are my place. I mean, they're where I decompress. They're where I celebrate. They're where I go when I have a bad day. They're where I socialize with, you know, my handful of friends that also enjoy it as much as I do. I get, I get pretty antsy if I haven't been on a hike in a week or so. So um, <laughs> I understand that feeling. Yeah, it's probably why you, that's probably why you've been so successful in med school, honestly. Yeah. Cause you're able to decompress in the mountains. Yeah. And you know what? Like, here's a secret. How many med students are going to listen to this? But like, here's a secret to med school and to life. <laughs> Harder, not harder. So basically, yeah. um, first year of med school, um, it was a big transition for me. I was studying my butt off. I was, you know, all day, every day, hitting the books. Um, second year, I took a step back and I realized, you know what? Like, I'm giving up so much of my life and I don't have to put my life on hold. I just need to figure out how to balance better. So uh. um, the last two years in med school, I really... I just, I don't spend all day studying. I don't. I don't cram. I uh, space out my work and I'm in the mountains like every week, if not more than that. When you first got Jade. And I'm doing better. Like, and I'm doing the best I've ever Yeah. Done. Fascinating, right? And when you first got Jade, you were applying that mindset to your puppy. Like you were training hard. You were training every day. You were constantly in private lessons with the field trainer and the agility trainer. And you had this class and you had that. And you were, I mean, you were doing that same thing. And then because of Jade, you learned that lesson already once that train smarter, not harder. Yeah. Is also beneficial. Yeah, I think so. I think he's had this huge impact on your life. And so now you have this little baby puppy, um, little avalanche. How has your experience with Jade affected how you're raising Abby? Um, so I just, you know, everyone asks me, I, got, I get my first border collie and they're like, oh, are you finally coming back to agility? And like, I don't know. I don't have an answer for everyone. This is the first time in a very long time that I just don't have a sports agenda. Um, I just want this dog to be a fantastic com companion and like, you know, a mountain adventure dog and a city slicker. Like, yeah, just I think that is so valuable. And um, a few years ago, I never would have put the emphasis on just life skills and um just clean training mechanics that I'm doing now but um yeah I just think having a really well adjusted dog kind of sets you up to do all the fun things you want to do if you want to do it but it's also nice to just have no pressure like how fun I just get to enjoy this puppy and not have oh he's got to learn this by eight months of age and <laughs> he's got to enter his first trial yeah I think you know, I love that attitude. And I I agree. I think it's worth mentioning, you guys, that 
Layla, your 13 year old golden had a really successful, long sports career. And so that's where you were coming from when you got Jade. And then, you know, through figuring Jade out, your life kind of organically stepped away from agility anyway. Like it's kind of incompatible with med school. Um, <laughs> but, but you also just, you wanted to spend your weekends on the mountain all of a sudden instead of in an agility trial where you were going to be worried um, constantly about Jade's behavior, because we're going to be honest, there were some people who were watching him for a slip up, right? I mean, there were people who were ready to see him mess up and um, didn't want him around. And so you had already, you scaled back, you were only doing one ring trials, and he was phenomenal when you did get out there. Um, but he took a lot. But you just kind of both decided that a different route was healthier for you guys. It took a lot out of us. It took a lot more than it should have out of us. Yeah. I mean, that I, I would have to bring my A game. I mean, like, big event nationals level A game in order to run him and, like, not. To a local one ring trial. <laughs> right. And that, you know, that's just not fair to anyone. That's exhausting. Yeah, it is. That's not fun. It's the analogy of like going through airports all day versus being really yeah. exhausted. And that's exactly how it felt. Like I was dead the nights after agility, but it didn't feel good. Yeah. And you've got to believe that Jade felt the same. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I'm realizing a lot of the same stuff with Felix. He's turning five next month, hasn't really done much in sports. Um, He's done a little bit and mostly I'm just really enjoying training him. Mm -hmm. um, traveling to go to trials is very hard on him. And so we kind of just don't. Um, I was actually, you know, getting ready to add a few more trials when a certain little virus popped up. But um, <laughs> but we're all we're all stepping back um, because of that. But I'm just really glad to hear that Jade has had this really transformative effect on your attitude around both dog sports and life. Yeah. And I think that this new little border collie puppy is very lucky. He's going to have a wonderful hiking life, whether he does sports or not. And I just kind of have a feeling he's also going to do sports because your head is totally in the right place about it. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. You're like, if I feel like it. <laughs> Like, oh god, I have baggage. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe that's the next uh thing that you work out is your baggage to do with uh yeah. the sport dog community. But you know, it's, it's funny because looking back on um me kind of ending Jade's career, I was so hesitant and I was just so upset with myself, you know. And um it it took a long time to get over it, but it's funny that I can kind of like have this visceral reaction now about Julie. <laughs> Because if you would have talked to me three or four years ago, I would have been like, oh, we're still going for it. <laughs> <laughs> now you're like, oh, no, I don't know. <laughs> Get it away from what me. What kind of dog walk is he going to have? I don't know. We're not going to do dog walks with this puppy. <laughs> well, I think your head's in the right place. And for me, it's been important to love the process um, and love just training my dog. And I love it. That. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if training leads us to competing, I'm just out of place in my life where I'm okay with if it doesn't lead us there. And training is so much more fun when you're not a weekend warrior. You know, that's true. It is so much more fun when you're actually thinking about the training itself, not 
the event you've got next weekend. Yeah. And like, I'm just going to be the first to admit I'm a really crappy trainer when all I do is compete. (laughs) Yeah. There are things about competing and training that are almost mutually exclusive. Like I think of competing as um, requiring this chunk of skill sets versus training requiring this chunk of skill sets. And um, you need both to be successful truly. But the first skill set that you need is the training piece for sure. Um, So Emily, Anything else to end our discussion here, a little recap about Jade that you would like to say to the audience? I just want to say, hmm, what should I say? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I just, I'm so thankful for him being in my life. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to know what my life would have been like without him because I love where he's taken me and I'm so excited. You know, he's eight. We have a lot more things to do and a lot more places to see. And um, it's just thinking about this puppy that I just got. You know, I was telling Andy the other day, I'm so excited to take this puppy to these places that Jade and I have made, you know, our mountain home. I have all these trails to explore and lakes to visit. And I just, I think that's so cool. I wouldn't have known that world without Jade. Well, I've certainly enjoyed watching the effect that he's had on you as well. And I think that if we all kind of embraced the challenges that life threw at us, the way that you've embraced Jade, um, and which is not to say that it wasn't hard because it was pretty much every second. When you embrace it and then you can look back and see what it has done and how it's been transformative, I think that's really important and special. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Delayed gratification. That's what this dog has taught me. <laughs> I think I need it in other aspects of my life as well, but <laughs> a good lesson, a good lesson, yeah. I would say. All right, Emily, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. All right, a few more Patreon questions for you guys. This one comes from Courtney. Do you praise your dogs while running an agility course in competition? For example, dog hits the weave entry, gives a nice tight turn, gets the tunnel dog walk discrimination correct. I might give a yay or good girl to tell the dog that she is right. These are different than my marker cues for food and toys since I obviously can't provide these things in the ring. Is this helpful, confusing to the dog, or just chatter that they've learned to tune out? Well, as far as the last part of the question, I don't know. Um, if it's helpful, confusing, or just chatter, I do think with a lot of dogs, it appears to be confusing. And I think this is one of those situations where you need to kind of observe and respond. As far as whether or not I do it, I do, but I'm actively trying to teach myself not to. So um, I did it with Iggy and it appeared to be perfectly fine for her and something that I enjoyed doing. I don't kid myself in that it's a lot of information for them. I don't think it is. Um, In fact, if it is information, it's probably just acting as a kind of Um, a cue that there won't be a correction or the dog won't be made to try again, which I believe I talked about in a previous podcast. But um, with Felix, it appears to confuse him. It appears to create kind of disjointed moment where he looks at me like, huh? And so I'm, I'm actively trying not to do it with him. And it's hard because I like to praise my dog. So it is difficult. And I think you need to just kind of observe is the does the dog appear confused do you see behavior changes that are positive or do you see behavior changes that are negative and go from there 
Thanks for your question, Courtney. Andrea says, I just listened to Stimulus Control is Greater Than Impulse Control again, so that's a podcast episode, and was discussing it with a few trainers. There's a lot of interest in the subject, but not a lot of clarity in regards to what to do instead of the standard impulse control games. Would you consider doing a follow-up episode, or is there a webinar we should look out for? So... Um, maybe a follow-up episode. There isn't a webinar today, but I do have a ton of information on this in my blog as well as throughout the podcast. It's just that I don't call this type of training impulse control training because I think that's a misnomer. So all of the kind of standard impulse control games tend to basically teach the dog not to access reinforcement um, off cue. And I choose instead to teach my dogs how to access reinforcement on cue. So that's what you should be doing is training clean reinforcement procedures rather than quote unquote impulse control procedures. If you're talking about things like waiting inside a crate or waiting inside of a door or something like that, I would actively train the wait rather than teaching them not to go through those doors. So hopefully that helps. And if not, uh, shoot another question at me in Patreon. Last one today comes from Emily. Thinking back to enrichment, what ideas do you have for a dog that loves to chase? And Emily actually has two questions and they're very separate, so I'll answer that one first. So what ideas do you have for a dog that loves to chase? Flirt pole. Uh, Flirt pole games are really fantastic for dogs that love chasing. Um, I've seen some other kinds of contraptions, like uh, things that the dogs can chase in the backyard, like on a pulley system. I've never tried anything like that, but Generally speaking, the flirt pole is a fantastic uh, toy that you can utilize. It's just kind of a stuffed toy or some piece of animal skin or something on the end of almost like a whip-like contraption. So a flirt pole for sure. Emily's second question, do you have a keep going cue for duration behaviors? I do not use a keep going signal for duration behaviors. Um, I utilize instead kind of my terminal reinforcer. So the click or the mark ends ends the duration and if the dog truly understands that they will hold the duration until hearing the mark so the short answer is no i do not use a keep going signal for that thanks you guys for your questions thanks for listening be sure to rate review and subscribe in the podcast app of your choice If you're interested in supporting this podcast, being a part of the CogDoc Radio community, and getting access to all kinds of extras, head over to patreon.com slash cogdogradio to become a patron.